book of Genesis and talking about the different things that are um, in Genesis that helps us to understand who we are. We look at the creation, at God's creation of life and how God created us in his image and how he said to us that it is a good creation. And we talked about that for a couple of weeks. And, you know, those first two chapters of Genesis are important chapters. They tell us how we were made, who we are, and then chapter 3 tells us what happened to us. And the first characteristic of a Christian worldview is that we are created in a special creation by a, a, a divine God. You know, we, we didn't just come from nothing. It wasn't just an accident that we're here. We're here on purpose. And the purpose was a divine creation that brought us here. That's the very first point of a Christian worldview. The second point of a Christian worldview is that um, something's wrong. I mean, you know, we, we were created well. God said it was very good. We were created in the image of God in a special creation. But chapter 3 tells us what went wrong. The world we live in today is not the very good world that God created. I think we would all agree with that. You know, we just, we just heard some examples of that today. But the Bible tells us that it was the first couple, it was their disobedience in the garden that brought about the fall of humankind. And when you look at chapter 3, you realize that in that chapter, sin entered into the world for the very first time. It was Eve's and Adam's shortcomings that allowed that sin into the world. And by looking at that temptation and the results, we can readily see the problem that we have, you and I, with the evil and the, and the ugly things and the sin that takes place in our own worlds, in our own life. And it's that sin, it's called in, in, the, in Christian theology, uh, it's called the fall or the original sin. That, that original sin is what causes the world's problems, but also sets us up for our individual sins, the sins of arrogance and pride and greed and lust. Those are the sins that are found in chapter 3. They're the same sins that are found in our lives and that are responsible for much of the world's suffering. And it's also the sins that cause a lot of the individual sufferings in our own lives. Now, I'm not saying that um, if somehow or another we could just quit sinning, that we would have life easy. That isn't true. How much sin did Jesus have? None. He lived an absolutely perfect life without sin, but it was not an easy one, especially when it come down to the end. But the Christian worldview, number one, is we were created in the image of God. We were created by special creation uh, in a divine moment when God created the world. The second part of our worldview is that the greatest problem that mankind faces is the separation from God. We don't have that close relationship with God that Adam and Eve had in, in the garden. 
Adam was not a sinner when he was created. He was not created a sinner. But he fell from that state of innocence, and he fell from the state of fellowship that he enjoyed with God. And we see that fall when uh, after, after they had taken from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that God had warned them not to take, they heard the voice of the Lord. And when they heard God's voice that time, different from every other time, they were afraid. They were afraid. They, they looked at one another. They saw that they were naked. And they ran and they hid first. And then they created clothes for themselves. Uh, for the first time, there was shame in their life. Because before that, they had been innocent. But that was a part of the consequence of their sin. Previously, when they heard the voice of God, they were not afraid. But now, just the voice of God made them afraid because they no longer had that innocence, that fellowship with God that they had had in the beginning. And so that's what we call the fall, the, the loss of innocence, the loss of, um, of a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And so you and I, as descendants of Adam are by nature, this is the word the Bible uses, we are children of wrath. Now, I don't like being called that. Do you like being called that? But that's what the Bible calls us. Listen to what Paul says. Ephesians chapter 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You know, that's the death that comes from sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And so what, what he's saying there is that, that now we walk in, in accordance with the one who tempted Eve and Adam in the garden. We walk according to them. He says, we also formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the flesh of the mind, and here's what he says, and were by nature children of wrath. Now he's talking about before salvation, we were the children of wrath, even as, as the rest. And so he, he's talking about that fall, that experience that we have as human beings apart from God. Okay, we, we don't have fellowship with God, we are, we are children of wrath. And then the third step of a Christian worldview is we don't leave it there. The third step is there is redemption. There is redemption in Jesus Christ. God provided for us a redemption from that. And even those who are unwilling to admit it, they're hungry for God. We have a need to fellowship with one who created us. The, the philosophers in the 17th and 18th centuries said there's an emptiness in every life. It's a, a God-shaped vacuum in every soul that can only be filled with Jesus Christ. I was reading a, a missionary story about Don Duvel. Don was a medical missionary to Indonesia. And he tells about there being three uh, men who were sick. 
They were suffering all from the same fatal disease, and they were all in the same room. Two of them were Muslim, one of them was a Christian. The, uh, one of the Muslims died first, and the other two saw the folks come in and they saw the hopelessness of death without God. The Christian died second. There was the same kind of sadness. But in the Christian death, there was a hopeful expectation of meeting Jesus Christ. And why Dr. Duval is telling this story is because the third man called for him and he said, I saw my two friends die. I would like to die like the second one. And so he led him to Christ. And he accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. Because you see, that, that's the third step in our worldview. God created us. We're lost. We can be saved in Jesus Christ. We can be redeemed in Jesus Christ. And where you spend eternity is answered in your relationship with God. You know, that, that's what de determines it. Um, and Genesis 3 tells that whole story. Why, why do people sin? Why do we choose sin over God's way? What are the steps that lead us to sin? What are the results of sin? What can we do about sin? And so that, that's what we find when we read and we look at the third chapter of Genesis. Now, if I'm going to preach through this, we can't just preach the good things in chapters 1 and 2. we got to look at the ugly stuff in chapter 3 but chapter 3 begins with a pro I mean ends with a promise of redemption offered to us so let's look at it just for a second we, we talked about the situation in the garden remember what God said it was all good he uh, said it's not good that uh, Adam was alone and so he, he made a helper for Adam you know, I've, I've been teaching a class on uh, relationships at the seminary. Uh, we just finished it on Friday. And the, the, fir the first lecture that I give in that class, which was like three weeks ago, was, was pretty close to the same sermon I preached last week about relationships, about God saying it's not good for a man to be alone. And uh, so he created us in relationship. He created us to have good relationships. Uh, but the scripture says it's not good for man to be alone. Well, in this class that I'm teaching, there's, there, there, there are six pastors, associate pastors, student worker, and one missionary uh, who is a missionary in Thailand. And she, it's a she. It's a single woman about 50, 52, I think, years old. And yesterday, or Friday, we were talking about the seminar. They, they reflect on it. Uh, you know, it's just a, there's no lecture on the last day. We just let them reflect on what we've taught them and what they've learned and that type of thing. And uh, she spoke up, and, and here's what she said. Blew me away. She said, I've been a Christian all my life, and I've never realized that that passage meant that the, the passage about it's not good for man to be alone 
that that passage meant that we were created to be in relationship. She says, I've always thought that it meant that it wasn't good for a man to be alone, but it was okay for a woman to be alone. And I thought, hmm, that, that is really interesting. You know, God created us to be together. He created us to have relationships and, and to, to be together with one another. And, and it's a good situation. It's good to have friends. It's good to have family. You know, th those things are good to have. And, and everything was good in the garden. And then we begin to read what happened. Verse 4 of chapter 3, it says, The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. So what, what I want you to see here as is, is, is this, is this all begins is that Satan makes her a couple of promises. First he says, you will not die. And the second he says, you will be wise. You will be like God. It will make you smart. So he appealed to her, her reason. And so what Satan has done here is directly contradicted the word of God. And contradicting the word of God is a problem in our world. And it's becoming a problem even in the church. That people want to contradict what God's word says. Uh, I was in a discussion one time with a pastor of a, of a different denomination. There were three of us in, in, in this discussion. Three different denominations. Um, and we were talking about a passage in Romans that... Uh, that uh, Paul had uh, been saying, we, and we were and we were talking about that, and and how we can relate to it, and and one of the pastors said to me, said to us in the meeting, well, I just have to disagree with Paul on that issue, <laughs> and my thought is, how do you believe anything then? How do you believe God's word at all, if you take issue with something? that's written in God's Word. And I was watching a debate on TV between a, a liberal Christian, a churchman, actually a, a, a clergyman, and a conservative clergyman. And, and here's what the liberal uh, clergyman said. Well, the Bible belongs to the church and the church can change it as she sees fit. <laughs> Is that true? That can't be true. It's, it's the Word of God. You know, what we hold... Is, is the word of God. And that's exactly what Satan did in the garden the first time. He says, what God said is not true. In uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 17... God warns them. He says, But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat from it, you will surely die. Satan says in chapter 3, 
Verse 4, if you eat from it, you surely will not die. Direct contradiction of God's word. God said you surely will. Satan said you surely will not. But when they ate from it, they died. They died. They didn't die physically on the moment, but they became subject to death. And they died spiritually. The fulfillment of God's promise that Adam would die reveals the punishment that Adam received for disobeying God's command. Genesis 3.19, he says, By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will remain. You will return. Sorry. Adam was told that he would return to the dust from which he was taken. And, you know, that concept is is throughout the Bible. I just wrote a couple of places. It's in it's in two places in Job. It's in two places in Psalms. It's in Ecclesiastes. You know, it's through the Bible as it talks about dust to dust, ashes to ashes. You've been in a, in a funeral service where that phrase was used. It comes out of the scripture. And what it means is because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, physical death came not only to him, but to all of his descendants. Listen to what Paul says. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, Cain killed Abel, the first human death. Death did not stop there. It impacted everyone. Everyone. If you, if you just read through the genealogies in Genesis, uh, you know, take, take heart. I'm not going to preach the genealogies as we go through Genesis, okay? I'm going to skip those parts. But you might want to go and read them. And you know what? how every one of them ends? And he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. And you know how your story is going to end? And he died. Well, some of you, and she died, you know. Uh, because that, that's what is going to happen with all of us. And if we have a problem with doubting God's word, you know, there's some principles in the word of God that, that we might disagree with, or we might even agree with in principle, but we don't obey. You know, we want to know about something, but we avoid going to the Bible to search it out and say, I wonder what the Bible speaks to that. Because, guys, the word of God speaks to us about lifestyle, about marriage, about sexuality, about family, about children, about church, about stewardship. The Bible speaks about all of those things. But sometimes if we don't like what it says, we rationalize in our own mind that there's a better way or there's a different thing. Or we actually live as if we believe the pastor who says, well, I have to disagree with the Bible about that. That was Eve's problem. Satan got her to doubt God's word. And then the scripture goes on to talk about obeying the lust. Listen to what it says in verse 6. 
The woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that it was desirable to make one wise. So she took from its fruit. James says in James chapter 1, he says, But each one of us is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So what James says and what happened to Eve is that the primary reason that she sinned, and James says the primary reason most of us sin, is because we see something we want or we see something that's good and we lust after it and we take it outside of the will of God. The way to avoid that is simply having a passion to know and obey God more than anything else. A passion for God. A passion for knowing God. A desire to be for God. A desire to to trust God and listen to God and obey God. And when that desire grows cold, something else fills in to, to take its place. You know, I know some of us struggle. No, let me put that different. All of us struggle. Some of us struggle more often than others and more difficult ways than others. But one of the ways to overcome that is by turning your desire away from things and away from those things to God and have a desire for God, a desire to know God. You know, and, and, and let me just say, say one more thing about it. You know that sin is not just something we do, right? Sometimes sin is something that we don't do. When we know the right thing to do and we don't do it. And then the results of sin. Um, he talks about those in verses 7 to 13. I'm not going to... Uh, read them all at once, but I am going to look at them. The first result we've already talked about, it's separation from God. They no longer had that relationship to God that they once had. God spoke and they wanted to hide, so they went to run and hide because now they were afraid of God. And then one of the results was death, as God had promised. Uh, Do you know that it's in chapter 3 that the first death recorded in the Bible took place? What died? What? What? Cain? No, that was in chapter 4. Has to do has to do with the nakedness. Hmm? To clothe themselves, he took the skin of an animal. Well, you don't skin animals alive, I don't think. Maybe sheep, you can skin a sheep alive or shear it alive. But God took and slayed the animals and made them clothes. And so there, there's death, as God said, it's going to happen, it's going to take place. Their death is going to take place. And he died, and he died, and he died. Romans 3.23, 
says the wages of sin is death. You know, the payment for sin is death. And, and the Bible talks about three kinds of death. Okay? The three kinds of death are physical death and spiritual death. Okay? Adam and Eve died immediately spiritually. They, divide, they, they died eventually physically. You know, they lived a pretty good long life, but they still died physically. Both of those as a result of, the, of sin. And then there's a third kind of death. What's the third kind of death? Eternal death. Death forever and ever. You know, forever God is with us. Well, not if we die without him. If we die without a relationship with God, forever God is not with us. It's an eternal death. It's an eternal death. And, and here's what happens. It's very simple. You all start out physically dead. I mean, spiritually dead. But if you die physically, while you're still dead spiritually, you die eternally. You know, that's, that's the bad news of Genesis 3. That's the bad news of, of the wages of sin and death. That's the bad news that we find in chapter 3 in the fall of men is that not only can we die physically and not only are we separated from God in this life, but if we don't take care of it, we're going to be separated from God forever. That's not fun to talk about. But the Bible talks about it. And the Bible makes it clear. But then there is a, a picture here of what is to come. The solution to our fallenness. You know, like I said, that it doesn't just leave us there. The Bible never leaves you in depression and in the dark and in despair. It always gives hope. It always provides a way. And so in here, that there are two solutions that are proposed to their nakedness. And here's the typology. The sin is revealed in their nakedness. They, they realize now that they're naked and they need to be covered. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Adam and Eve, you know, all of a sudden, their innocence gone, they said, we, we've got to do something about this. And so they made their clothes. Um, it, it may have even looked good to them. I, you know, I don't know uh, how, how they responded to that. But they seem to have solved the problem. But it was not acceptable to God. God said, no, that won't work. And that's when he killed the animal took the skins and made them clothes out of the skins of the animal. Because you see, the wages of sin is death. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You see how all that fits together? Several years ago, it's been quite a few years ago now, it was in the Salt Lake Tribune. 
which is a newspaper in Salt Lake City, there was a story about a man who decided, uh, reading through the medical stuff, reading through probably websites and books and magazines and stuff, he decided that he needed to have surgery. Didn't go to the doctor. He just decided he had these symptoms and he needed to have surgery. And what he wanted to do was denervate, whatever in the world that means, his adrenal glands, wherever those are. You nurses and stuff, you, you, you know what that's talking about. I don't. All I know is that he wanted to do this surgery on himself. He didn't want to have somebody else do it. He wanted to do it. So he went to the medical library. He read all up about it. He decided that he was ready to do it. He was a student at the University of Utah. He disinfected his dorm room. He draped himself with sterilized sheets. He had some barbiturates that he took, and he put on a mask and gloves, and he laid down on his bed and positioned mirrors so that he could see what he was doing. And he took out, a, after scrubbing his abdomen with alcohol, he took out a scalpel and cut himself open to provide surgery, to do, to do surgery on himself. And he, he made pretty good progress until he tried to move his liver. And when he tried to move his liver to get to the adrenal glands, the pain was so bad that, that he gave up and uh, called emergency services and they came in and said, now, is that stupid or what? You wouldn't, huh? You, you wouldn't do surgery on yourself, would you? I mean, maybe a toenail or a fingernail. What? <laughs> maybe cut a wart off or something. But open yourself up? That's crazy. But there's a part of you that's even deeper than an adrenal gland. And that's your soul. That's your soul. So why do we try to do self-surgery on a sin-sick soul? Because that's what Adam and Eve tried to do. They tried to cover their own sin. And that doesn't happen. It says, Hebrews 9, 22 says, Without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And in Genesis 3, 21, The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God took an animal, sacrificed it, and clothed them with it. In, in, in the next chapter, next week we're going to look at Cain and Abel. And Abel brought an offering for his, uh, for his sin. He brought a lamb to be sacrificed. For 2,000 years after this happened, men and women sacrificed their animals on a regular basis as a, as a requirement from God to pay for their own sin. Or they would take it to the priest and the priest would, would uh, provide the sacrifice. Death every time. Sin every time was taken away by, by the blood of, of goats and sheep and bulls. That happened for 2,000 years and then God took his own son Jesus Christ, 
and sent him to be crucified on the cross that our sin could be forgiven. There have always been two ways. There's the human way that's not sufficient. And there's God's way that is sufficient. He said, that's, that's the third step in our worldview. The first, world, the first step is creation, divine creation. The second step is what's wrong with the world is sin. And, and, and I say that to say this. What's wrong with the world is not education. In other words, if we educated everybody, that doesn't take away sin. I'm not saying that education isn't important and education isn't good. It is. But it's not the solution for sin. Government is not the solution for sin. You know, those things won't, won't take care of sin. You can't pass, you can never pass enough laws to get rid of sin. There's only one solution for sin, and that's redemption in Jesus Christ. Look what Paul says, Romans chapter 10. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You know what he said? He's, he's talking about his brethren. And he's saying they love God. They have a zeal for God. But they think they can get right with God by doing their own works. By keeping their own law. By keeping their own commandments. And he says they just don't know God's righteousness. And then he goes on down several verses later in verse 9. He says that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. That's God's righteousness. It's so simple. And you know that. I know you know that. That's how we're saved. That's how we overcome sin. That's how we overcome the loss of our relationship with God. It's through Jesus Christ. In Romans 10, 11, he says, the scripture says, whoever believes in him will never be disappointed. God, Jesus will never let us down. And then he says, there's no distinction between being a Jew or being a Greek being a Gentile, being a Jew or being a non-Jew. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, we, we, we've believed that so long and we know that so much. We lose the excitement of it, I think. The excitement of a man dying in a hospital, wanting to die with the expectation. 
Anyway, chapter 3 is the fall and its consequences and the redemption and the reconciliation. And that lies at the very heart of who we are as Christians, at the heart of the gospel message. Because of man's disobedience toward his creator, death and suffering entered the world. But by, it was by the death and suffering and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can gain salvation so that we're no longer condemned to live forever in a fallen world. Now that was just a statement of our, of our worldview. It's what we believe as Christians. Scripture also gives us one more hope. I don't want to end there. I want to give us one more hope. One day, the curse that accompanied us sin in Genesis chapter 3. You know, God also cursed the ground. He cursed the world. All that stuff that he, that he, that he created and said was good, he said it's not going to be so good anymore. But one day, he's going to change all that. Revelation 21.4. And on that day, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more crying. And there will no longer be any death. No more dying. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have all passed away. And then in the next chapter, he says, and there will no longer be any curse. The curse on the world will be lifted. And the throne of God and of the Lamb of God will be in the world and his servants will be with it. That's the fourth step in our worldview. Final redemption. Final glory of the world.